had a lot of preachers in my day when I was having to be gone in Bible conferences who had to preach on stools. And I regret I didn't pray for them like I should. There's so much said in the Bible about suffering. Now, I do believe that some people suffer more than others. And I think maybe that sometimes the suffering we do, we bring it on ourselves. But isn't it good and comforting to hear somebody say something good about suffering? Suffering. I was reading through Mr. Spurgeon this last week. He always had something to say. Always had something to say. And I wanted to share this with you in case you might be facing some suffering this morning. The title of this is Spurgeon on Suffering. He says, I am afraid that all the grace that I have got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in a minister's library. Book on suffering. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. My soul. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Well, Mr. Spurgeon not only did a lot of preaching when he was alive, he left a whole lot of preaching in print and still speaks blessing and encouragement to God's people today. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Chapter number 9, verses 24 through 28. I want to speak to you on the subject of an, an appointment with God. An appointment with God. Hebrews 9, 24 through 28. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Now, what does that mean? That means that though he visited the tabernacle, and he may have visited the temple, but he never visited it as a priest. He visited somewhere else. Where did he visit? But into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. 
For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment So Christ was once offered to bear the sins. Please notice that's plural. S-I-N-S, sin. He didn't just die for one sin. He died for all of my sins, past, present, and future. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin, unto salvation. And our text is going to be drawing from verse 27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Each of these verses, these five verses I've read for you, is a sermon within itself. But I have chosen only one of them to speak to you about today, and that's verse number 27. There are two appointments given to us in our text. One is an appointment with death. It is appointed unto men once to die. The other is an appointment with God. But after this, the judgment. And may I say this morning that the appointment with death is nothing compared with the appointment we have with God Almighty. Our text is often misquoted or misinterpreted as is Romans 8.28. There are some who believe that Romans 8.28 teaches there's good in everything that happens to an individual. But that is erroneous thinking. Romans 8.28 is very clear in what it says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. The same error is found in our text of Hebrews 9.27. What it does not say is, it does not say that it's appointed unto men once to die, period. What it says is, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. I looked up in my concordance, that word appointed comes from a Greek word, That means reserved. I have a reservation with God Almighty. And God Almighty keeps all of his reservations. We will stand before him. Like it or not. Excuses or not. We have a reservation with God. We not only have an appointment with death, but we have an appointment 
with God. What a sobering truth. Sooner or later we'll all stand before God. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this. Well, what in the world comes after death? Well, you're probably going to have to notify the kin, aren't you? After you die? Sure. Are you going to have to maybe notify the undertaker? Absolutely. After a person dies, time to call the undertaker. And then you select a funeral home to conduct services in memory of that individual who died. There are so many, many things that have to be done when a person dies. But after this, the judgment. The judgment. The certainty of this appointment or this reservation. Some appointments can be broken. And I'm glad for that. And some can be set aside. If, for instance, you are appointed to show up for jury duty, all you got to do is be, unless they've changed it again, all you got to do is be 70 years old and you can be excused from that appointment. If you have an appointment to have your car repaired, and you have to call and tell them you just don't feel like having that done today, they'll cancel your appointment. But Hebrews 9.27, church, cannot be canceled. We will meet that appointment and you will be on time when you meet it. How do we know this? God keeps his reservations. God never has to say to you, well, I'm so sorry I was a little busy and I didn't have time to meet with you today. Maybe come back tomorrow. No, God keeps his reservations. And every one of us have a reservation with God, an appointment with God. There is a convincing track record to support that statement. The oldest profession in the world is not Prostitution. It is the work of an undertaker. Cain was the first undertaker. He killed his brother Abel and then put him in the ground. Divine exceptions are but a few. There are some people that don't die. And some that die more than once. Are you listening? Lazarus had to die twice, not once. He was raised from the dead and then he had to return to the grave. Enoch and Elijah were both taken out before dying. Believers who are living on this earth when Christ returns will not have to die. However, millions have died in the past. Millions are dying today. 
and millions will continue to die. What a track record. Everybody's dying. There is a scripture verification for this statement. Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Proven by two unchangeable facts. Number one, it's written. Scripture cannot lie. It is already written. You have an an appointment with God. And second of all, as I live, saith the Lord, it'll happen just as sure as God is alive. It's going to take place. There is in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 5 and 7, man goeth to his long home. Now that's a King James expression. What's his long home? Man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The long home is the grave. And when a man is buried, my dear friends, he may be there a week, or he may be there a hundred years. It's called a long home. The long home is the grave. The body is buried, but the soul goes back to God who gave it. The grave is not the final chapter to human life. After death, we will face God. Who is this God before whom we should stand? We would be filled with apprehension if we had an appointment to stand before some president or stand before some king or stand before some queen. I tell you what's true. I didn't think a woman was ever going to die. I believe they kept her on top side of the earth at least three full weeks. And you're talking about people showing respect. And they needed to show respect. We would be filled with some fear if we were to stand before the Supreme Court of the United States. But how much more knowing we're to stand before Almighty God? Who is this God before whom we shall stand? He is the sovereign God of glory. In Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Almighty God has never been disappointed. Write that one down. Give it some thought. Our God has never been disappointed. It all works out like God plans for it to work out. He's the sovereign God of glory. God always has his way. You may think you're having yours like Jonah did for a while there, but no, God has his way. He is the architect and builder of creation. 
in Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens. And notice he pluralizes the word heaven there. Not heaven singular, but the heavens. There are three of them. There is what we call the atmospheric heavens. There are the planetorial heavens. And then there's the heaven of heavens, which exceeds higher than any other heaven. Including all the planets, all the stars, the suns, plural, which we've never seen yet, the Milky Way, and a thousand other galaxies, inner space and outer space, the archway, and the entire universal system, plus everything else. There's nothing made that he did not make. He's the architect. I think he's done a good job. I wish Mr. Biden realized that. I have to go around changing the weather. God change it. Just hang on. It's going to happen. Let me read to you what Brother Job had to say in Job chapter 26. And the whole strength of my message is today and always has been, not what I think, but what God says in his word. In Job chapter number 26, verses 7 through 14, speaking of this God of the Bible, we sing about this God, Almighty God, this God of the Bible. What does Job have to say about him? Beginning with verse 7, he stretcheth out the north over the empty places. Now, I've never been able to figure out how he does that. And he hangeth the earth upon nothing. He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds. Now we're talking about shores. Until the day and night come to an end. The waves and the tide never stops. Don't you suppose it gets tired after a while? I've spent a few nights down on the shore. And I get tired of hearing the racket. I really do. Matter of fact, I get more tired. I get a little sick in my stomach when I hear all the waves just keep rolling in. They never stop. Why is that? God started them rolling and they'll roll till he stops them. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are parts of his ways. Notice not all of his ways. These are just parts of his ways. But how little a portion is heard of him. Nobody talking about God today. We're talking about the Republicans. We're talking about the Democrats. We're talking about our national leader. We're about to talk about God. We're going to stand before him one day. These are just parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand it? We see the lightning. We hear the thunder. 
And we ask the question, where did all that come from? God Almighty. He's the architect and builder of the creation. Job wasn't through there. The Lord gave him some permission to say a few more things. In Job 38, verses 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And that word whirlwind is a tornado. God talks out of tornadoes. Yes, sir. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? I tell you who it is. It's Washington, D.C. They run in the mouth all the time, never say anything. Gird up now thy loins like a man, and I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Now, God begins to get personal with his questions with Brother Job. (laughs) By the way, Brother Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if you know? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and he's talking about angels there, not New Testament Christians. And I've told you this time and time again. Whenever that Bible talks in the book of Genesis about the sons of God cohabiting with the daughters of men, he talking about angels. When the morning stars sang together or the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud the garment thereof and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors. And said, Hitherto shall you come, but no further. And here shall thy proud waves be stopped. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know his place? Even the waves know just how far they go before they stop. And God stops them with his shoreline. Sometimes to show that he's God, he fudges a little bit and lets the waves go on beyond the shoreline. But I'm glad he doesn't do it all the time. He's the architect and builder of creation. We'll stand before him. We have a reservation before the God of heaven. He is a God of holiness and justice. In the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, this is 250 years after Jonah preached life to Nineveh. Nahum comes along and preaches death. Nahum 1, 2, and 3 says, God is jealous. The Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Saying the clouds 
are the dust of his feet. That's the God we're going to stand before. Who are these that must appear before God? Well, according to Job 25, 4 through 6, one of the speakers of that passage of Scripture had something to say about who's going to be involved in this judgment. In the 25th of Job, a man by the name of Bildad the Shuhite said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? How can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. Every member of Adam's fallen race would stand before this God. Every person born of woman. Romans 5.12, Wherefore it's by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die. For as in Adam all die. Those in Christ will be made alive. It will involve breakers of God's law. Now I know we have some folk today who claim to be Christians and they think God went out of the law business a long time ago. Let me tell you now, don't don't be looking so strong for grace that you stop looking at law. Because law is the reason for grace. Breakers of God's law. Romans 3.19 Now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Not only breakers of God's law, but unrighteous sinners. Romans 3.10 As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter number 1, verses 29 through 32. Who's involved in all this? In verse number 29, being filled, and I presume that means about what it's always meant. It is full. Full. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters and inventors of evil things. Boy, we got a bunch of junk being invented today. I never heard such mess in my life. People running for the Supreme Court don't know who a woman is. Well, we're smart, aren't we? 
who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And then the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter number 21, it says this, Revelation chapter number 21, verse 8 and verse number 27. Revelation chapter 21. Let me turn the page here, okay? Verse number 8, but the fearful... He said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not offending you, am I, by reading this stuff? But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And verse 27, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise the Lord for that. Unrighteous people who are breakers of God's law and unrighteous people who are sinners breaking the word of God. The purpose of an appointment with God is to judge acceptable righteousness. Let me say that again. The purpose of a reservation or an appointment with God is to judge acceptable righteousness. That God will behold your righteousness and tell you whether it's acceptable or not. In Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Would you believe he gives us the answer? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. The unbeliever's righteousness is clearly stated in Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we're all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness says, as plural, we got so many of them. We do so many right things, good things. We're all as an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But the believer's righteousness, you find that in the text we read from Hebrews chapter number 9. That's very clear on the matter in verses 24 through 26. It says this, Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often. He doesn't have to do this all the time. As the high priest in the Old Testament did with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, that's a good word, isn't it? But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Whose sin? My sin and your sin as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts them away.
the believer's righteousness. His lawyer is Jesus Christ. His trust in Christ is counted for righteousness. I'll only take a few more moments of your time, but in Romans chapter number 3, verses 20 through 22, Romans 3, 21 through 22 and 24. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Read on. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, a satisfaction through faith, in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past and underscore this part through the forbearance of God. There was a time when God passed over our sins. God passed over former sins without punishment but sin would later be punished in his son who would hang on Calvary's cross to pay the price of our atonement. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be the just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That when we come in life to the place of realizing we're sinners and we have no hope apart from the Lamb of God and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary, we look to him and we plead, oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I have sinned against thee. I have broken thy laws. I've broken thy root. But Lord, I believe you died for sinners. And I'm a sinner. And I'm trusting you and what you did on the cross of Calvary to pay my sin debt to the Father. You don't mind so much an appointment like that. It's when you think you've got all the bases covered and you still have to show up and give God an account of why you did what you did for how long you did it. What a fearful thought. One day we'll stand before a righteous and holy God and we will be judged he that believes not will be damned. He who believes will be saved. One man got carried away so much he wrote a song about it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, that means completely, wholly lean. On Jesus name are you trusting him as your Savior today are you looking to him today to be your advocate and to be your attorney when we have to stand before the God of creation we're going to stand there one day but as a believer you'll never have to stand alone you stand with Christ who paid the sin debt for you and for me we have an appointment we cannot cancel it out 
We might laugh at it. We might scoff at it. We might say, well, it never happened to me. Yes, ma'am, it will and is going to. It's what you do about it today. And I trust you'll look, do the, the thing which is right, and that is to look to Christ for our salvation. Let's stand, please, for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the ability to read the scripture and pay attention to the clarity of the language. Lord, you're so clear. We can't miss it. One day we have an appointment with you and we'll stand before heaven and stand before you and give an account of our wickedness and our, and our sins. But Lord, we're also thankful in knowing that Christ Jesus bought us by his love and by his grace and that our sins are underneath the blood and faith in that blood, trust in that blood is the salvation we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. For those today, Lord, who will still stand before you and think it's all a fairy tale, oh God, open their eyes and may they see the seriousness of this hour. For we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Brother Roger. Take a hymn book, if you will, and turn to 412. Take your hymn book.